morning. I'm going to take the next couple of weeks um, and speak from the book of Ephesians. Um, there, you guys know if you hang around me long enough, there are certain parts of scripture that I own that I tell you you can borrow, but they're mine. But when it comes to the book of Ephesians, I am Ephesians. I don't know why, but it's very personal to me. It's very, very personal to me, this book. And uh, I felt like the Lord was prompting me with something last week before we shifted gears and went getting filled with the Spirit again. That was fun, wasn't it, last week? And that felt good. It helped me all week long. I had probably one of the most difficult weeks I've ever had away teaching. It was last week. Did anybody else have a difficult week? Yeah, well, count on it. Whenever God gives you something, just count on it. Take it to the bank. Every time God deposits something in you, you're going to run into something that's going to test that deposit. That doesn't mean we run away from getting deposits. It means we, with full confidence and faith, we just look at them and go, no, I have everything that I need. Amen? Amen? I had a difficult week. It was a very rewarding week, but it was a very difficult week. I was away at uh, Jacksonville, uh, speaking at the YWAM base there. And uh, you want to hear a testimony? Yeah, this is a good one. Um, whenever I go and speak at a school and there's new students and they don't know who I am, I usually open up with telling my history, my testimony. And I do that because I know that it makes it a little easier for people who don't know you to get to know you. But also, whenever I give my testimony, I'm positioning people for breakthrough. And it never fails that whenever I give my testimony of how God showed up, worked in my life, radically transformed me, it affects somebody in the room without fail every single time. So I'm, I expect it. It's like it's, the, it's a normal thing to expect something to happen. Well, this year, um, I, I, don't, I got really moved by something this time. Um, I gave my testimony. Talk about what happened to me. It started in my teens when I was 16 years old and led to years of just really difficult life. And how God ultimately showed up and set me free, radically. This particular year, there happened to be an individual in the school um, in his early teens, mid-teens, and same kind of life, same history, same family situation, almost carbon copy to mine. And as I told the story about what happened to me when I was 16 years old, here's this 16-year-old kid sitting there. Something began to resonate with him. And he comes up to me and he goes, you and I, we need to go sit down and have lunch together. So I knew something was going on because I'm used to it. But we sit down and we have lunch together. And he, as a 16-year-old, begins to just pour out all the things that have gone on in his life since he was really, really young. Very similar things that happened. Not all of it, but very similar things that happened in his life. And he was at the point at 16 years old where he wasn't necessarily ready to end his life, but he was at the end. He was at the absolute end, could not justify everything that he had been taught. Pastor's kid, like me, in church, private school, whole nine yards, could not justify what was going on inside of his soul with what he was hearing with the gospel of Jesus and could not bring them together because, I don't know about you, how often do you hear that Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly and then you find yourself not living an abundant life? Well, the problem isn't on his end. It never is on his end. The problem is, somewhere along the way, Satan comes in, submits the lie to you, and we start believing the lie. And then when we believe the lie, we empower the liar. So he told me his story, 
And it was, it was difficult. It was difficult to hear and even brought up some things that we needed to deal with right then and there. And I say all that to say this because it was difficult walking through that week with him. But I don't, have you ever guys ever seen anybody who has such an encounter with the Lord that when you see them before their encounter with the Lord, they look one way physically and when after the encounter with the Lord, they look a different way? That's what happened. This kid went from being completely downtrodden, beat up, hanging his head to alive. Absolutely alive. I don't know how to describe it. You'd have to see it. His face looked completely different. And it just reminded me that this thing of the gospel, this thing of the transforming work of Jesus Christ will never get old. It never gets old. Somebody else here in Bells? That's not just me, right? I have to ask sometimes because weird things happen up here. No. A lot of the angels here. Of course there are. So to see that just completely moved me yet again with this wonderful reminder that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the transforming work of the Spirit, it never stops. And I don't ever want us as individuals to get dumbed down into a place where we think that God can't show up. Don't ever, ever go there. I contended all week long for this boy. There was an initial breakthrough after we talked. There was this initial breakthrough, but there was this constant in and out that was happening. And I could see it happening. I could see it happen when he communicated with his parents. I could see him when he communicated with some of the school leaders. And this constant in and out of, I'm free, I'm not free. And then by the end of the week, it settled because he had an encounter. It started on a Monday, and by Thursday, he had an encounter with Jesus that he knew that it's like, this is not just words anymore. This is a reality. And so nobody had to come and convince him anymore about the freedom that he had in Jesus Christ. So what I'd like to do this morning is talk out of the book of Ephesians. I'm going to start this morning with it. Next week, Lord willing, we'll hit the uh, last half of it. So take your Bibles. Turn to, yeah, we'll start, we'll start in Ephesians. Put your, put your hand there, at least. We may flip around to a number of different scriptures. You guys okay this morning? Yeah. This first chapter of Ephesians is what I want to focus on this morning because there's um, a call from Paul, the apostle, to the church as he's writing to the church in Ephesus and he gives this wonderful, amazing apostolic prayer. Why is it important that we understand this? Because this apostolic prayer is coming from the heart of God through Paul to the church and he's praying for them. Anybody like to have somebody pray for them? Anybody like to have somebody pray for them for specific things to be released? Yeah, well, that's what's happening here. And it's easy for us to read over it and not catch the fullness of what's happening. So in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, it says that he do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, colon. Now here's the prayer. That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Everybody say wisdom Wisdom. and revelation. In the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe. Come on, this feel good? There's something on this. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand 
in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. Now, that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? I mean, that's covering, that's covering the whole gamut right here. It's covering everything that's happening, but not just what's happening now, but what's happening now and what's to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. That's a good prayer. If you have not taken time to really meditate on this, it would be a good idea to do it. It'd be a really good idea to meditate on it. Don't meditate with the intent to try to understand intellectually. Meditate with the intent to try to get a hold of it from a revelation standpoint. We need revelation, right? Revelation is what's important when we read the word. You've heard me say before, don't read the word to learn, read it to hear. Because the words that he speaks are spirit and life. Don't read it to learn. You can read it and learn some things. There are often times I need to get into the word to find chronological order and where things happen and get some details. You can read it to learn, but don't just read it to learn. Read it to hear. The spirit of revelation literally means, revelation means to lift the veil. To lift the veil. At some level, we all walk through this life with a veil of some type on our eyes that keeps us from catching the fullness of what God has released to us. We will look at scripture, and if we don't get the revelation, we find information in it as a point of theology, but it's not a point of maturity. You guys understand there's a difference. You can understand theology and understand it well, but it does nothing as far as our maturity. Head knowledge, but no, having head knowledge, but no experience to go with it. That's what I'm talking about. Having head knowledge, but no experience to go with it. Revelation reveals what God has given to us. It takes faith to go on and explore it. This is important. Revelation will reveal to us what God has given to us as inheritance, but it takes faith to go on to explore it and say, what does this look like for me? It's the, it's the New Testament picture of what happened in the book of Joshua. They were brought into the promised land, right? The land was given to them, but they had to have faith to step out and go, there's places that we need to explore, And there were people they needed to fight. There is a fight in this New Testament life, isn't there? Quick point here. Watchman Nee, some of you familiar with him maybe, wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. It is directly from the book of Ephesians because Ephesians in chapters 1, 2, and 3 deals with sitting. Chapters 4 and 5 deal with walking. And chapter 6 deals with standing. And fighting from that position of standing. We all are familiar with this if you look at Ephesians. It's the sit, walk, stand. Watchman Nee wrote a book on that. Here's the challenge. For us as believers, we tend to approach the Christian life the exact opposite of the way it's laid out here in Scripture. We think it's stand, get your fight on, then start walking, do the right thing, until ultimately you get to the right place and you can sit down and rest. Hello? We've got to be careful. That's not the way it's lined out for us in Scripture. We start... Our Christian life from a place of sitting. It's rest. What did Jesus do when he had finished all? He sat down. Right? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Oh, and by the way, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. So everything that we do in this life has to be from the place of sitting. Not the place of standing and fighting and then walking and then trying to get to a place of sitting. Is this making sense? 
We need a, a cleansing in our mind about this. We still have a lot of works mentality that we have in the church that we're trying to work to get something instead of just sitting and resting in it. How do you get to that? Well, ask for revelation. Ask for revelation. Many people hear and receive revelation but never explore it because they're satisfied with having good theology. Right? We can get good stuff but, and be satisfied with getting just the revelation and think that it's just, okay, now I've got good theology, but never it, take the faith to live it out. What I'm talking about this morning is starting from this sitting place but recognizing what God has given us because if we don't know what God has given us from the very beginning, we will fight for things that we already have. We will pray for things that we already have. That's why Paul is saying that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The knowledge of him is not an intellectual knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge where you come into contact with him, where you meet him so closely that it goes from, oh my gosh, I understand it here, but now it's sitting in my heart and I fully get it. I saw that happen with this kid this week. That's why I'm going over this stuff again. It's like we cannot forget this as a people. We cannot forget this. It's the experience. It's the encounter with him that matters. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's giving a teaching and even a revelation on the gifts of the Spirit that were happening in the church, right? Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. What's really interesting there is when he says concerning spiritual gifts, that word gifts isn't even in the original manuscript. It says literally concerning the spiritual, I don't want you to be ignorant. What had happened was in Corinth, all these gifts were flowing. All these wonderful manifestations of the Spirit were flowing like crazy. And he writes a letter to them to give revelation on what was happening because they didn't know what was happening. They weren't ignorant of their existence. They were ignorant of their application. So all of these things are happening, and he comes and he brings revelation to them on what's happening in the spiritual realm. And in chapter 14, he says, pursue them. Pursue them. As a matter of fact, he says in Scripture there, it says, lust after them. It's kind of a weird word, isn't it? Not all lust is bad. You lust after them. It's literally what it says. Lust after. Have this strong desire that you run after them. But it's from the seated place, not from the walking place. You sit first. Most of what you need in life, that you really, really need in life, it'll come to you. Most of what you need or want, you're going to have to go get. Most of what you need, it'll come to you. Most of what you want, you're going to have to go get. Hello? Right? Think of it. As a child. Anybody in here have children? Right? You, you give them what they need, right? They don't typically, in a healthy household, have to go get what they need. But if there are things that they want, they're going to have to go after it. Case in point, my eight-year-old loves Legos. Loves. Loves Legos. Yes, lust after. Thank you. Good word. Now, we have bought him Legos before. But there is oftentimes this new model, these new things that come up that I don't even know anything about. But he knows every detail about them, right? There are things that he needs that he gets living in our family. There are things he wants that he's going to have to go after. In other words, if he wants that Lego set, I've got some sticks out in the yard that he can go pick up and earn some money. My wife thought of that one. It was a really good one, too. I've never seen a child work so hard. We have a one-acre lot, and he will scour that thing looking for sticks. <laughs> Because he knows there's something for it. But you see the heart. There's something that's desired, so he puts an effort into go getting it. I'm not talking about going after the things that you already have. I'm talking about going after the things that he's given, and we use faith to explore it and say, what is this going to look like if I start putting this into action? In John chapter 3, verse 3. Turn there real quick. 
Everybody's still with me, right? I love you guys. John chapter 3 and verse 3. These things that Paul is wanting to have the church get a revelation of, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Jesus talks about them in John chapter 3. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, you guys know this is to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. That's weird, right? Now we all know it because we're on this side of history looking back at it. But born again, what does that mean? You're talking to an, he's talking to an individual who has no idea the concept of Christianity, of death, burial, resurrection. It hasn't happened yet. Look at verse 8. He does something weird again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of spirit. He's using the natural to describe things of the spirit. Look at verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? In other words... There are parallels in the earth that speak to things of heaven, but the things of heaven are so far vast beyond that they can't even be compared with things on the earth. And he's saying, I'm trying to bring you revelation of that, but if you can't even understand this parallel on earth, how are you going to get what I'm trying to give you in heaven? Look down at verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Now, some of your translations leave out that last part. If you read NIV or something like that, it'll leave out that last part. So let's just say for the point of argument that the last part isn't in there. Okay? Let's read it again. Now, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man. Okay. No one has ascended except he who came down. What is he saying? Jesus is trying to communicate to Nicodemus that I am standing here on this planet, but I'm not really here. That my awareness of things in the spiritual, my revelation of things in the spiritual is so deep that I'm actually up and down all the time. I'm moving all the time. Anybody want to live like that? Come on, I'm trying to break us into something here so that our awareness is set in somewhere that is not on this planet. When I saw this young man come free from that, get an encounter with Jesus, all of a sudden his awareness became about I am seated with him in heavenly places. My life is not fighting for freedom, I'm fighting from freedom. I don't want to fight for my freedom. I've got my freedom. I fight from that place. The enemy's going to come along and try to convince you of anything contrary to that. Come on, is this speaking to you this morning? He'll try to do anything to convince you the opposite of what Jesus has already given to you. End of World War II. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is that? (laughs) Do we have Indians? What is this? I don't... Yeah, it's the wind, right? The sound of them rushing by your wind. The end of World War II. Pacific Theater. I think it was around April of 45, somewhere around in there. World War II ended with the Japanese, right? Everybody knows a little bit about their history. The Pacific was filled and dotted with all kinds of small little islands out there. There were still Japanese soldiers on those islands fighting. Why? They had no idea. Even when the word came to them, they didn't believe it. So they kept fighting. Why do we do that? The word comes to us and we keep fighting. We keep fighting for our freedom instead of fighting from our freedom. 
This is a big deal. This is very important. When I saw this 16-year-old boy get a hold of this, I, it was moving. I was like, this gospel can come to absolutely anybody. It can, it, can, it can come to absolutely anybody if we're willing to just stop the cyclical thinking of what we've learned in the church growing up because there's a lot of things we've learned that aren't good. There are a lot of things that we've learned in the church that aren't good. That's why I tell even the students when I teach them, I'm telling you in here, don't take my word for it. You need to get in and figure this out for yourself. If you're trying to get revelation, if I speak something and you get a revelation on it and you don't explore it, you've only got head knowledge. You've got to explore it. How do you explore it? Take the places in life where you can't find freedom and stop trying to fight for it and consider yourself from the freedom and start living from there. That's where the faith comes in and you begin to explore it. It covers, it covers everything from, from issues in our heart, heart issues, soul issues, exterior issues like finances, all that stuff. Start putting it into practice. Start doing something with it. You'll see something happen, I promise. But you can't live on somebody else's theology. I tell my students at school the same thing. You cannot afford to leave school, go out into the college realm, and live with your parents' Christianity. It won't work. It won't work. Until it's yours, until you have your own and you know what it looks like and you can say, I know the Christ, the son of the living God. I know who he is, not because of my intellect, because I met him. He and I talk. We're on a first name basis. I got him on speed dial. I can pull him up in a moment. This right here that Jesus is revealing to Nicodemus here. Verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. It's a mystery. It's not just a teaching, but it's an invitation to a lifestyle where he's saying, are you going to become more aware of what's happening on this earth or more aware of what's happening in heaven? It's an invitation to a lifestyle. For us as believers, that's where we have to live from. Did you know Ephesians is the only letter in the New Testament that does not contain a corrective word? Did you know that? It's, not, it's the only letter of Paul, the epistle, in the New Testament that does not contain a corrective word. Colossians does, Philippians does, Corinthians does. Corinthians has a lot of them. If you really need to be corrected, just go read that one, especially 2 Corinthians. It's the only book that doesn't contain a corrective word. It has some of the most meaty spiritual doctrine. I know it's all spiritual, but it has some of the most meaty spiritual doctrine of anything in Scripture. It's a book on the nature, what the nature of a victorious believer should look like. Does that sound good? This, if you can read this book, read it from the perspective of not trying to do something here on this earth, but read it from a position of your nature, your very nature. People who don't like to look at it like this, they reduce this book down to, oh, well, that's positional. Seated with him in heavenly places, well, that's positional doctrine. Has anybody ever heard anything like that before? If we reduce it down to positional doctrine, what have we done? You've missed it. You're holding on to it in here. And it's just positional. Or you take promises of God and you push them off into some distant future. And you think, someday I'll get to those things. When I'm older, when I'm more mature, or maybe even when I've died. Right? Have we ever done that before? Taken promises of God, put them off into a future. Maybe when we die, we get a hold of those things. How sad. How sad is that? If you want really good doctrine to understand on the sacrifice of Jesus, read Romans. If you want really good doctrine to understand your position in Christ and where you live from, read Ephesians. Look back at 117, Ephesians again. Everybody still with me, right? I'm not sure that you are. <clears throat> Here we have this apostolic prayer, verse 17. 
that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, now let this settle in. Don't just listen. Let this settle in. That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Spirit of wisdom and revelation only comes through the connection and understanding with him. It's the only way it comes. This is one of the seven spirits of God, by the way. These are some of the seven spirits of God uh, talked about in Isaiah 11. It's actually given personified. The spirit's personified. Spirit of wisdom, revelation, spirit of power and of might and of counsel and of the fear of the Lord, right? This is, this is part of it right here. The spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of him. Colossians 1.27 says that it's Christ in you, Christ in you, right? Say it with me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. People don't like it when I talk about this because they say, oh, all glory belongs to God. Don't touch the glory. Well, actually, you're made for glory. You're not made just for glory as in to have your own. You're made for glory that's in him. As a matter of fact, he chose to reveal his manifest wisdom, power, multifaceted colors, all that of God. He chose to reveal it, not in himself alone, but in Jesus in the church. Yes. Don't ever, ever discount yourself and say, well, I don't want to touch the glory. Well, if you don't want to touch the glory, you're going to have to remove yourself from the body of Christ because you're part of it. You need it. How do you think the world is going to know that there's a creator beyond anything on this earth? To see the glory of God manifest in the sons of God. That's what we need to see. If you are really being conformed into his image, right? Which we are, according to Romans 8. If we are really being conformed into his image, then isn't that part of it? Yeah. There's a lot of other things, too, conformed into his image. Because it's not the image of Jesus that walked on this planet. It's the image of Jesus seated at the right hand of God. By the way, that's not the same state he was in when he was on the planet. He was in human form on the planet. Now he's glorified. Do you know what the glorified Jesus looks like? He shines. He glows. What do you think the Mount of Transfiguration was all about? It was giving you a heavenly perspective. It was giving Peter, James, and John a heavenly perspective of the reality of Jesus. Glowing. Anybody want to glow? I want to shine. The whole Old Testament picture of Moses in the presence of God shining with his face and that, and that glory faded. Yes. That's the kind of glory that we get to be a part of, that we come into that and it never goes away. Yes. I'm hoping this is provoking you unto something. We are not designed to be a people who walk on this planet just trying to do our best and coping through life. Amen. I don't like coping. <laughs> coping bad. Shining good, yes. <laughs> Coping bad. Shining's good. Would it be better to have somebody come to you and say, Oh man, you seem to have gotten a little victory over that. Tell me how you did that. Or have somebody come to you and say, I don't know what the heck that is on you, but that looks so good, I want to be a part of it. Right? One of them has an earthly kind of thing that will help somebody, and the other one has a heavenly kind of thing because you're revealing heaven. Verse 18. Let's look at that one. 
The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Wow. Listen. Everybody look at me. God does not speak to us from heavenly realms to hear, and then our heart understands it. God speaks to us from heavenly realms to our heart, and then our head begins to understand it. It comes up. It doesn't go from here to here. It goes from here to here. This is helping you. That the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. The eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. It's that connection, epigonosco, pulling in experience with him. It comes into your heart and it moves up. You guys know what it's like for those of you who are married here and all the love that you have for your spouse or even just for a family member if you're not married. Love you, honey. It's not my intellect that connects with her. There's something deeper that connects with her that I can't even speak of in the heart. Sometimes there aren't words to describe it. There's something that goes beyond that, that kind of understanding. But I know my wife, I know my wife from my heart up into my head. I used to know her from my head down into my heart. Does this make sense? You first meet somebody. Then it moves from there to here and you start to understand things different. That's what's happening. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Ah, We spend so much time trying to fight for what we have. It bothers me, church. It bothers me to no end. This young man, as he would sit and talk with me, he would talk about, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done that, and all these things. And I'm like, man, I feel you. I remember going through those things. I remember doing the same thing. I remember crying out to God, saying, take this away. Take it away, God. It's throwing yourself at the altar every time there was an altar call in the church. Which, why do we call this the altar, anyway? I don't ever, never understood that. You know there isn't an altar. The death of Jesus, ascension of God, the tabernacle got stood on end. We think this is an altar. This isn't an altar. It's just a flat place in the front of the room. <laughs> I'm serious. There's nothing more special about right here than there is right there. I'm just, I want to break these things down a little bit, all right? We spend so much time trying to fight for what we don't have, and we start yelling at Satan. Here's another one we do, shadow boxing. Yelling at Satan. Why don't we take the example that Jesus had when it comes to addressing the demonic? Jesus didn't come looking for the demonic. He came to bring life, and if the demon jumped in front of me, he'd pull the trigger. He's not looking for demons, but when he came into one, he'd say, eh, get off. I'm bringing life into the middle of this thing, not chasing demons. Be careful chasing demons. You can get yourself into trouble doing that, actually. Jesus' victory was not a victory for God. Listen to me. Jesus' victory was not a victory for God because God is superior. He didn't need a victory. His victory was for humanity. God doesn't need it. Humanity needed it. I told you before, chapter 2, verse 6, that we have been raised with him, seated with him in heavenly places. Oh, and by the way, you didn't have a choice in the matter. That's going to mess with your theology. While you were dead in your trespasses and sin, he made us alive together and made us sit with him in heavenly places. You didn't have a choice in the matter. The covenant of Jesus is unilateral. You don't enter into it by trying to do something. You enter into it by believing. We can unpack that later. I just messed with some people. but His resurrection is your resurrection. His death was your death. His burial was your burial. His ascension, your ascension. We have to identify with him in four areas specifically and never forget it. His death, his death, your death. His burial, your burial. His resurrection, your resurrection. His ascension, your ascension. 
Stop trying to find a way into ascending into the things of God. You're already there. You live from that position, not towards that position. Verse 18 again. I'm going to read it and we're going to move on. The eyes of your understanding being lightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the hope of your calling? What is the hope? What's hope? Hope is not wishing. If you want wishes, drive about 40 minutes south of here to a place called Disney World. You get all kinds of wishes there. They got songs about it. They do parades about it. Wishes, wishes, it's all, you know, if you wish upon a star, you know, right? All that stuff. We think that hope, what is heavenly, has been, we've reduced it down to wishing. It has nothing to do with that. Hope that comes from Him is a deposit inside of you that just makes something come alive that you don't even understand. It's a desire for something in the heavens that you don't understand, and it's the meditation upon that that starts to bring it to life. Hope in what? Hope in God. Hope. That's why people who have lost hope, those are the most dangerous people. Well, they're not the most dangerous. They're, they're in a bad way. The most dangerous people are the people who interpret Scripture and they're not madly in love with Jesus. Those are the most dangerous people. <laughs> It's theologians who interpret and give us doctrine and they're not madly in love with Jesus. They give us some pretty whack doctrine. Hope defined. I heard it defined like this a while back. I don't know who defined it, but it's the joyful anticipation of good. That's what hope is. The joyful anticipation of good. The joyful... Does that sound good to you guys? That just sounds good to say it. The joyful anticipation of good. Busyness will be the enemy of understanding hope. Busyness in the Christian life, in the mind, in the body, will be the enemy of hope. In other words, sit down, shut up. Sit down, shut up. (laughs) We all love this one, right? Be still and know that I am God, right? Be still and know that I am God. Again, that word know there is experience. Be still and experience that I'm God. If you're running around busy, you're never going to catch it. Also in verse 18, it says, What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? You know what his inheritance is? You. Me. He's freaking madly in love with us. And there's a wedding that's coming, and he can't wait. I don't know if he does this, but I get pictures of him just standing there going, Come on, when can we, when can we, come on, come on, come on. That's my bride. Man, doesn't that feel good to hear that? I hope we can look at ourselves like that. If we, if we don't look at ourselves like that, we tend to look at ourselves like, well, I don't know, I'm just, a, I'm just a no good, I don't know, thank God for his, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. All that kind of stuff is like, come on, get over it. That is really prideful to say that. It's really prideful to say I'm just a sinner saved by grace because what you're doing is you're looking at the finished work of the cross and you're looking at it in light of your own experience and you're saying, no, that doesn't line up with this. This is better. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Is anybody in here a sinner? No. Everybody's a saint, according to Scripture. That's what it says. This entire book of Ephesians, it starts with, to the saints who are in Ephesus. If you're not a saint, I tell people, take this one, rip it out of your Bible. If you're not a saint, rip that part out of your Bible, because he's writing to the saints there. And if you're not a saint, just ignore this part. But you are. Guys, I know I'm covering ground here. I'm covered before. But as much as anything else, I'm not speaking to your intellect. I'm, I'm launching something into this room and into this atmosphere because it's the bedrock of who we are and where we're going to live from. Like it or not. <laughs> Some of us think that we're just barely making it into heaven and we're going to get up there and Jesus is going to be like, 
I'm sorry, Father. <laughs> I mean, you told me to do this thing, and they believed, and so here they are. But you know what we'll do? We'll have them sweep the floor over there. <laughs> Some of us think like that. We think like that when it comes to what we inherit when, it gets to, when we get to heaven. And the whole time Jesus is saying, don't you understand that I did all of that for you, so much so that you would be brought into such an intimate relationship with me. And by the way, you don't have to wait for it till you get there to get it. You and I, we are his inheritance, and he can hardly wait. There is a glory in the saints, and it has become his inheritance. This should change our commitment to inferior thinking. As much as anything else, I want to mess with your thinking. Look at verse 19 now. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Towards us. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. Look at what kind of power flows through you and to you uninterrupted. The kind he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. That kind of power flows to you and through you all the time. Constantly. Thank you. I'm going to preach to this side of the room for a while. It flows directly from that world into you and should flow from you into this world here. We're waiting for our circumstances to change instead of starting to make declarations and look at it and say that is not the way it's supposed to be. And we start living contrary because we've put faith in the word and we start walking out the word. Yes, there are giants in the land. Yes, there are things we're going to face. There are things that we have to conquer. But just understand something. According to Joshua, the reason why those people were left in the land, in the promised land, was so that they would take care of and steward the things so that when the people got there to conquer them, they were ready for them. God said, if I remove everybody out of the land, the beast will be too much for you and they'll overwhelm you. Why do you need fights? Because if you don't have a fight, you're going to get prideful. This is what people are afraid of, and they run away from this in Christ message because they're afraid the church is going to get prideful, and they're going to be all like, well, la, 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 and they're not going to do anything. Oh, no, there are fights. There are absolutely fights. There are things that we have to contend for. And if we didn't, the beast are things like pride, self-centeredness, right? Because you know what it's like. And the minute you enter into a fight, all of a sudden you recognize it's not just about you anymore. I don't know about you, but I look at it like that way. If you do enter fights in your life, spiritual fights, physical fights, not like outside physical fights, but I'm talking like emotional, spiritual fights. If you try to do those things on your own, sorry, don't do that. Not good. Hello? Not good. There are people you should have in your life where you can call them up on the phone and say, this sucks right now. All I need for you to do is begin to agree with me and declare that this thing is going to be over, that I'm going to make it through this thing. Amen? Come on, that's a good word. It's towards you and me. What I'm trying to do this morning is I just want to provoke us to have faith to explore the revelations that we've been given. Don't fight for the revelations. You have them. And you only get more revelation by using what you have and exploring it. It's part of how the kingdom works. Because if you are given something and you don't do something with it, it gets taken away from you. Doesn't sound fair, does it? That's kingdom, guys. Get used to it. If you've been given something and you don't do something with it, it gets taken away from you. That's how it works, simply. I want us to explore the revelations that we've been given. Primarily what happens in chapter 2, verse 6, that you're seated with him in heavenly places. That from your life, everybody stand up with me here. From your life, you are going to live from there towards earth. I've told you before, I'll say it again. 
When God began to unpack this for me a little over two years ago, I used to think, even in my state where I had experienced God, had come into a deep connection with Him, understanding of Him, I still, to some degree, lived my life going like this. Oh, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I would beg for God to send things down from heaven. But when I read this passage of scripture, just reading through it one day, I got the revelation and it, looked, and it totally flipped. It turned everything on its head. And it said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I'm not begging, I'm enforcing. Does that sound better to you guys? Because if you beg, you always wonder, did I get it? But if you're enforcing, you're in a place of going, I know that I have it. I know that I have it. Makes it so much easier to look at out, outward circumstances and be able to enforce heaven right into the middle of them right there. I don't need conflict to leave. I just need the presence of the Prince of Peace right in the middle of the conflict. Hold your hands out here. Bless you, Lord. Father, we want to be a people who represent you and the kingdom accurately. You've done everything for us. You've laid it out there so wonderfully, so graciously, and so beautifully, and so mysteriously. But Lord, what we do know, we're choosing. We're choosing to be a people who are going to walk in this, who are going to implement what you have accomplished. Jesus came on this problem. He had no problem with the world, right? In the sense of him getting the best of him, right? Then he sends Holy Spirit to us, who fills us, to do the exact same thing, correct? He did it, then he left and said, tag, you're it, you do it. Let's bring the kingdom of heaven to this planet. Anybody in? Yes. Lord, what it all looks like, we, just, we don't even restrict it just to healing, Lord. We look at more than that. I'm speaking, I'm speaking to everybody here in this room, and I'm saying we are going to be a people that see freedom brought to the people who are bound on the inside. Who have bought into lies and have found themselves in years of bondage. Years of addiction. And we speak to it right now and we, to the very foundations of it. And we say be shaken and be broken in the name of Jesus. We will be a people to see those things brought down. To see the light of the gospel shine on somebody's eyes to the extent that their face changes. That they look different. Lord, this is for all of us. I speak to all of us and I say let's get in on it together. Lord, provoke us by the power of your spirit. Provoke us to understand what it means to have revelation, to use that revelation and to move into places that we've never experienced before with you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Amen.